chapter 5 today. And I want to teach about the nine fruit of the Spirit. This will be introductory. We just spent six months in Hebrews 11. And we taught you with great detail about what the Scripture says about faith. I want us to look at the nine fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. This little letter that Paul wrote is packed with information about the liberty and freedom that we have now that we are Christian. Modern Turkey, the capital of which is called Ankara, is the region of Galatia. And these early believers had a very difficult time. It was very rough terrain, very rough area, but nevertheless they came to know the king but being believers, their church had been invaded, if I could say it that way, infiltrated, visited by some people who wanted them to not only be Christian, but also practice the Old Testament law. And the one element that they wanted them to practice was circumcision. Circumcision, of course, was strictly for men. These people were telling these folks that unless you're circumcised, as Moses declared, you cannot be saved. Well, it's, it, it's unscriptural, and they certainly understood that, but yet it caused some kind of contention and confusion in the church. And if you're not sure what you believe, and other people come in with strange teachings, then it very well could confuse you. The reason we know that it's not necessary because when Jesus died on the cross, he made it very plain that the, the, the uh, liturgy, the dietary laws, the clothing laws, all of those things were nailed to the cross with Jesus. So I don't have to abide by the Old Testament diet now. The New Testament is very plain. All meats are to be received if they're received with thanksgiving. I don't have to abide by the dress code of the people under the Old Testament because we now are under what we consider to be grace. And we definitely do not have to keep circumcision anymore because, again, circumcision was strictly for the men, not for the ladies. But Romans chapter 2 says that when you become a Christian, all of us, male and female, are circumcised in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So why try to mingle the law with grace with the expectation that they'll be equalized? It won't happen that way. If you blend the law with grace, then the, the law is immediately going to overtake it because God redeemed us by grace so that we could be free. So what does Paul do in order to try to minister to these people. He, he gives them information about the inward work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life so that they won't feel compelled to go back under the law. In Galatians 5, look at verse number 5. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. One day we'll die, and on the other side of our last breath we'll be in heaven and we'll be perfect. Meanwhile... 
we're here on planet Earth and we're wearing this Earth suit, but yet we still have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us because of our faith in Him. And we wait through the Spirit as God sanctifies us and changes us every day. There's not a one of us in here that are perfect. There's nobody perfect behind this pulpit, but yet I'm better than I was 25 years ago, and I'm better than I was 40 years ago. So there's a constant change taking place in the believer's life, and the Spirit of God helps us to wait. Look at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you should not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The flesh is the old nature, the old man, who you were before you became a Christian. All of those attitudes, all of those appetites are still in you. But now by faith, they're crucified in Jesus Christ, and we then are to put to death, by faith, all the deeds of the flesh. Because that flesh craves, that flesh hungers. And it's for this reason that if you have ungodly appetites, that appetite knows no satisfaction. You have to feed it and feed it and feed it. And the scripture says, so we walk in the spirit. And walk is just another way of describing a lifestyle. Every day, we're to live our life according to what the scripture says, and we're to walk in the spirit because you can't walk in the spirit and do the lust of the flesh at the same time. You can't walk east and west simultaneously. You can't go north and south simultaneously. You can't be light and darkness at the same time. Well, in verse 18, it says, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. So the Holy Spirit is not going to do anything to bring you into bondage. Now, what was the, the bondage of the law? Obligation. You were obliged to do so many things in order for God to be pleased with you and in order for your conscience to believe that God was pleased with you. And the Spirit of God is not going to do that. He'll lead you down a pathway that lets you know that love, according to verse number, verse number, let me see, somewhere in here, verse number 14, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's important to know. And if, if I fulfill the law in love, if it's fulfilled, if it's realized, if it's accomplished, I don't need to go back and do it. When Jesus climbed up on the cross and he fulfilled the Old Testament law, if he already completed it through his finished work, why do I need to go back up under the law to try to fulfill it again? See, it's, it, it's like if you take your car to a mechanic to have a mechanic repair it, if the mechanic repairs it, why then do you need to take the car home and then you repair it all over again? And since Jesus has completed the work, let the work be done, enjoy the work, and enjoy the benefits of that work. And this is what he's saying in verse 14. All the laws fulfilled in one word, you love your neighbor as yourself. And then if you look also at verse 25, you can see if we live in the Spirit, we'll walk in the Spirit. So here are the main principles that Paul has given to the Galatians about how to live a life in which Jesus can be manifested and how grace won't be frustrated. But that brings us now to the whole issue of fruit bearing. If we're talking about the nine fruit of the Spirit, how does it occur? 
John chapter 15, I believe, says that Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. But, but, but think not just about a grapevine. Think about a tree. Think about the root system, the trunk, the branches. On the branches, you have the fruit that manifests, and then you have all the foliage. But all of that comes from a seed. From that seed, the tendrils spring forth in the ground, and then those tendrils bring forth nutrients from the soil, imbibe it. They become a strong root system. Pretty soon that first sheath comes up out of the ground. Then you've got a trunk that develops and becomes very strong in the midst of wind. I mean, it's bending, it's twisting, it's turning, it's getting stronger and stronger, and pretty soon here comes the fruit. But whatever is in the seed is in the trunk, and what's in the trunk is in the fruit, because what is the fruit but edible seed? The same life that is in the root system is the life that flows up through the branches. And Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll be fruitful. So whatever is in Jesus is what is inside of us. It's impossible for us to say we cannot bring forth life, we cannot manifest the fruit of the Spirit, if we are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that leads to the question, why then is the fruit of the Spirit less visible in some Christians than in other Christians? Why do we have believers who have been in church for 50 years, been in every Sunday school lesson you can think of, but still are mean as a junkyard dog. Why do we have some people that spend multitudes of hours reading the Bible but manifest no fruit? Come to church, can shout, praise God, lift their hands, glorify the King, but on Monday morning, as soon as the elementary school kid walks across their grass, they're cussing and screaming at them. Why does that happen? People want to know that sometimes. Well, here's the misconception. The misconception is this, that because I'm born again, I'm automatically going to bear fruit. That may not necessarily be the case. You can be saved. You can be born again, and it doesn't mean it's going to be automatic. There are things we have to do, and here's what Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you can't change your mind, you can't change your attitude. And if the Bible can't change your attitude, you can't change your behavior. So this is why you see people march in cycles, and they do the same thing over and over again, and they can't break out of a pattern. So you have a mom and a dad that will be a first generation of people that decide they don't want to work anymore because they found they can make more money being at home on assistance. But yet they'll go to church, and they'll love God, and they'll think to themselves, everything that I'm doing is correct and right without realizing the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And the one that doesn't take care of his family is worse than the infidel. But when they hear scriptures like that, they'll think it's applying to somebody else, and they'll raise the generation in that same belief system, and they'll continue down that same path. But if they really are in a church where the Word of God is being taught, eventually you want to break out of the system and change your behavior. As your behavior changes, then the Spirit of God can begin to do different things in your life and manifest different kinds of fruit in your life. So that's important. And when 
When we think of Paul, of course, Paul sees things that we don't always necessarily see, and I think there's some scriptures that we can use to show you what I'm talking about, because when it comes to the Bible, you've got to read it, you've got to believe it, and you have to do it. Read it, believe it, do it. Say those three things with me. Read it, believe it, do it. So in the Old Testament, let's go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. And look at verse number 8. And I'll explain this for you. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou may observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. According to this verse, when it says it should not depart out of your mouth, to paraphrase it, that means it should always be in your speech. It should always be in your speech, the Word of God. I'm not saying everybody you talk to, you've got to quote Obadiah, you've got to quote Second Chronicles, but I'm saying that you should learn enough of the vocabulary of the Word of God that even your common everyday speech can be godly without the other party even knowing that you're using those kinds of, those kinds of statements. A conversation seasoned with grace. It says, meditate therein day and night. Sounds like all the time. Now, if you can think of a moment or a minute that's not included in day and night, then you talk to me after service. But, but the, the principle is clear. Your life should be governed by, founded on the Word of God, and then he says you will be prosperous and have good success. Do you know there's a difference between good success and bad success? Bad success is when you go from the bottom of your company to the top of your company with promotions and you step on everybody and undermine everybody and backstab everybody to get to where you are. That's bad success. Bad success is when you make it to the place where you do become super wealthy, but yet you've lost your family, you've lost everything in the process of trying to get there. That's not good success. Good success is the kind that God blesses you with that adds no sorrow to it. You're not weeping and crying because God has promoted you and brought blessing into your life. And the Scripture says, meditate on God's Word. Most Christians don't meditate on God's Word, so they don't get any fruit out of their life. Again, you can become a Christian, start going to church, but don't read the Bible, don't worship the Lord, don't sing any gospel songs. Then how is the Spirit of God going to bring any kind of fruit out of your life if you're not putting the seed in? And at Matthew chapter 13 is very plain that the Word of God is seed. So you get what you plant. If all you do is plant worldly seeds in your mind, worldly seeds in your heart, you'll be a worldly person. You will get a harvest of worldly things, worldly thinking. Many people are fearful. Many people have nervous breakdowns because their life is seeded with all these things in the world that do, do nothing but produce fear. That's what they watch all the time, things that produce fear. You have to do Joshua 1, verse 8. Go back to Colossians 3. We were there earlier, Colossians 3, and we read the verse that spoke about the family. 
But notice Colossians 3, verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, it says, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing you in psalms and hymns. But you can see in verse 15, it also says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word let in grammar is a, is a term of permissibility. So it's up to you to decide whether you're going to prohibit or whether you're going to permit. If, if you want the Word of God to dwell peaceably in your heart, then you've got to take the Word of God and read it and then not be attacking the Word of God when you're seeding it inside your heart. You have to go out of the way to make sure your heart is good ground for that seed to come up and produce some kind of a harvest in your life. You've got to fight fear. You've got to fight anxiety. You've got to fight unbelief. You've got to resist doubt. And the Scripture says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Word of God. See? Word of God. And some people are experts at everything but the Word of God. If, if I were to travel through the churches of South Central Nebraska and I were to stop and ask people, can you tell me all the starters on the Husker squad for all their championship teams. I guarantee you that somebody can give me every name, give me the number on the jersey, tell me who all the coaches were, and probably could give me statistics on what people did each year when they were playing. But then if I turn around and say, can you name for me the nine fruit of the Spirit? They'd be looking at me like I've lost my mind. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is the fruit of the Spirit? But, again, I said if I went through the churches and did that, I'd get that information. So I'm saying that if we're Christian and this book is what should govern our life, we should learn the book. I'm glad the Bible is in people's phones and people can read it and all that when they're traveling, but you still need to learn the book on your own. You still need to know how to turn to the book of Malachi. You should be able to find the book of Numbers in the Scripture. Very important. Very important. So James tells us that we should not be just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. Read it. Believe it. Do it. Say that with me again. Read it. Believe it. Do it. It's not enough to leave it in the Bible. It's not enough to leave it in your ear. You have to apply it. Apply it to your life. How do I do that? Start obeying what the Scripture says. When you do that, you start creating habits, practices, that will better your life in walking with the King. Allow your life to be dominated by what the book says. Not by private dreams and visions and revelations in your prayer time, but by what the book says. Don't allow your life to be guided by somebody's prophecies over your life, but by what the book says. Because what people say could or could not be correct, but you know that the book is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible, and it's the Word of God. Don't ever change from that. Okay, well, if, if I understand that then, then I need to figure out how then does God start the whole process, because if Christ is the vine and I'm the branches and I'm in him, then what's in him should be in me, and I should be manifesting these things. I want you to know now that the Spirit of God is the one who prepares the heart 
or the soil for the seed. That's very important. You can have a heart that is not manifesting the characteristics of Christ the way they should be manifesting the characteristics of Christ. You say, how can that happen? Too much of a manifestation of the flesh, the old nature. Whatever you were before you became a Christian, if you were to backslide today, you'd go right back to what you were and you'd be even worse. You'd be even worse. But if, as a Christian, I crucify that old man in his attitude and I wrestle with him and fight with him and, and when and when during times of temptations, I feel like I want to say a word that I know in my heart I shouldn't say. If I resist that and I say no, then it's going to be easier for me the next time to say no. But if all you do is give in to that old nature, then you say yes every time temptation comes. Yes, every time temptation comes, it's going to be harder for you to say no. And that's going to hinder your heart from being the kind of ground that is needed for this to come into manifestation. I'll give you some illustration. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. That is the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. The first three verses speak about how if we have a lot of abilities and talents without love, it doesn't mean anything. But look at verse 4 through 8. It gives us a description of love and charity. The synonyms. Love suffers long and is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Now verse 4, when it says love suffers long. That's basically talking about a form of patience with people. Long-suffering. What does that mean? That means that love puts up with unpleasant people sometimes. And love puts up with them for a very long time. Look at how unpleasant people are in this world, and God puts up with them every day and lets them breathe. Mm-hmm. So then the, the manifestations of love in the believer's life should mean that we should put up with people that we don't always want to put up with. Well, it suffers a long time, but then it also says it's kind. So in its nature and in its temperament, a loving person is kind toward other people. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit. You can take each one of these sentences in verses 4 through 8, and you can go through the Gospels and find an episode in Jesus' life where he manifested all of these things. Think of some of the disciples he had. He had two that wanted to call down fire and burn up the whole village because they wouldn't let Jesus pass through. He had one that said, all these other disciples are no good, and I'll never forsake you, Lord. He had another who had been with him a long time, and after all that time, he said, look, Lord, how can we know the way? See? So with, with all of these kinds of people around him, Jesus had a love for them that put up with their faults, their weaknesses. And he loved them, and he endured. 
Well, I think we have to be the exact same way. Long-suffering means that if there have been occasions where people have gotten on what you perceive to be your last nerve, God will give you one more nerve. He'll give you one more to be able to put up with that person. And then when they get on that last nerve, then God is so gracious, he'll multiply two or three more nerves. And, and when you, you're doing your best to try to stay away from, from folks that are getting on your last nerve because you're tired of your love being tried, then God will bring somebody else into your life to try it. Yeah. This, this is how the fruit of the Spirit comes into manifestation. It requires tension. It requires tension. So look at verse 4. It doesn't envy. It doesn't vaunt itself or exalt itself. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. As a Christian, you shouldn't tell the kind of jokes where you say, I, I have a joke I want to tell you, but brother so-and-so is here, and I don't think he would like it. Well, if you know he's here and he wouldn't like it, why even bring it up? And why is it something you would want to share anyway? Love does not behave itself in a manner that disrespects women. It doesn't behave itself in a manner that disrespects gentlemen. Yeah. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And our conduct should be such that our behavior is not unbecoming of a Christian. We should live all the time in a manner that is respectful of what the Word of God says we should be. It's true. So the Spirit of God, then, he's working on that heart now, and he plows that soil through conviction. So you can't grow without conviction. Conviction is the very thing that produces the growth. Now, what is conviction? Conviction is when the Holy Spirit comes to your heart, he puts his finger on something in your life, and he says, now here is where I want to see some evident change. And he keeps his finger right there in the soil until you work on that particular area. It doesn't matter where you go. You can go down the street, get on a roller coaster, get on a rocket, go to go up in space somewhere, get on a submarine, climb up in a treehouse. It doesn't matter where you go. The Spirit of God's finger is going to be pointing at that one thing that he says he wants to see changed in your life. That's conviction. And, and when we repent and say, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, I'm working to make the change, then when you change, then the Lord, he's happy, you're happy, but you know what he does? He puts his finger on something else. And there will never be a time in your Christian life where the Spirit of God doesn't have something to work on in, in our lives, some attitude, some behavior characteristic. This is how we grow. We turn from what is wrong to what is right, and God causes our standard of living to increase. So we grow in grace, and we grow in knowledge, and as the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is taking place, he's changing our heart so that through that heart, it's becoming good ground, and now some fruit of the Spirit can manifest. Your heart has to be established. Now, you understand this. This is why every time when we have planting season, people are running around doing everything they can to prepare the ground for the seed. If you've got bare patches in your yard or you've got hard ground out in your field, you can put a bag over your shoulder and throw some seed in it and walk out there and just start slinging it all over the ground if you want to, but you're not going to get a harvest that comes up. Because you've got to have the conditions right. The soil has to be right. There's got to be moisture. 
Everything has to be right in order for that seed to come to life and sprout up. And it's the same with the Word of God. The Scripture says we're born again of an incorruptible seed. That seed is in our heart. You've got to give God something to work with. You can't just sit around and say, well, Lord, I'm expecting you to change my life and I'm wanting you to do wonderful things. And you don't take the time to let the Spirit of God work on that heart. Yeah. So we, we sit under the Word. We allow the teaching of God's Word to plow furrows in that heart. And when our heart is where it needs to be, then when we hear the Word taught, then all of a sudden it has a place where it can grow. Now, it's possible for your heart to be right today with the Lord in one area of your life and wrong tomorrow. Just like it's possible for your life to be, and your heart to be, good ground in your relations with one person, but be hard and fallow and cold in your relations with somebody else. And so, with the person that you have a good relationship with, there'll be manifestations of the traits of Christ in the fruit of the Spirit. But with the person your heart is cold toward, there won't be any manifestation of God or the Lord at all. By illustration, if, if, if Tiffany has no problem at all with Bryn, then Tiffany in her relationship with Bryn, she can manifest the fruit of the Spirit because she likes Bryn and she enjoys Bryn. And she can walk in love with Bran. She can be temperate with Bran and so on and so forth. But just by way of illustration, let's suppose she's not getting along today with Sister Sue. Then, then her heart is cold towards Sister Sue. Maybe Sister Sue's been bothering her husband or something like that. So, so if, if Sue's been bothering your husband and your heart is cold towards her, then there can be, there won't be any manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit towards, towards her. And you see this oftentimes in many churches. There are people who can take communion. They can come to church week after week. And as long as they can stay with their little group, their little clique, everything's fine. But they can go weeks, they can go months, and never talk to somebody else that they have a problem with because they think that's fine. And it's not fine. It's a heart that is wrong toward God. You should be able to walk up to anybody in this sanctuary and your response should not be determined by somebody else's previous actions in your life. Just because somebody calls you a name, why does that mean that you, you have to all of a sudden shut up your heart to that person? You've been called a name before. Just because somebody's disrespectful to you or says something mean to you, that, that's no reason for you to all of a sudden clam up and allow your heart to become a, a, a place fomenting bitterness. You can keep your heart right with God so that the fruits of the Spirit will manifest in every season of your Christian life. You've got to make that determination. And if you decide you don't want to do that, I can't do anything about that. I'm just telling you what, what, the, what the book teaches. Yeah. I passed up marvelous opportunities in my life to be offended. Marvelous opportunities. And I'm sure some of you in here have passed up marvelous opportunities to be offended at me. But the, the good thing about uh, not being a person that holds grudges 
is that you can have a whole lot of liberty and keep walking with God and the Spirit of God to keep ministering and moving and doing things things in your heart and your life. I, I don't remember a lot of things that happened a long time ago, you know, really. I mean, we could be talking about anything from six months ago, a year ago, five years ago. You're lucky if I can remember I was there. Now, her, she can go back 18 years ago. Tell me where we were standing, what position I was in, what clothes I was wearing, what I said exactly, what my facial expression was like. And when she does that, about the only thing I can do is just go ahead and say amen because there's no sense to me arguing. I can't remember anyway. There's no way I'm going to, I'm going to win the argument. So I just, I, excuse me, not argument, intense moment of fellowship. There's no way I'm going to overcome during that intense moment of fellowship. So I just, I just go ahead and I just acquiesce. It's fine. Okay. I said it. But the nice thing about not being able to remember a lot of things like that is I don't hold a whole lot of grudges. I mean, even with church people. There have been things in years past, decades past, that people have said to me or done to me. She can remember. I can't even remember. Don't you remember so-and-so said to you? No, I don't remember at all. And because I don't remember, I don't hold a grudge, you see. And I don't spend my time angry over things that I don't want to be angry about. And I don't lay awake at night tossing and turning because I'm upset with somebody in the church. I'm not saying there hadn't been other people that hadn't tossed and turned in their bed at night laying awake because they're upset with me. But I'm just saying I probably didn't remember it, and I went to sleep anyhow. But even if someone says something directly to you that is offensive, your position, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not easily provoked, you should take it to mean they didn't mean that. Because if you, if you sit there and meditate on that rather than meditating on the Word, you're going to get angrier, and you're going to get angrier. And as you get angrier, your heart's going to grow colder, and pretty soon you're just going to stay further and further away from that person. How then can the fruit of the Spirit manifest in a life like that? In fact, if I know that there's somebody in the church that has a problem with me, I go out of my way to make sure they have to talk to me. I say, hey there, how are you doing, sister? I mean, I'm right there all in their face making sure that they know they're going to have to talk to me. You're either going to have to talk to me or we're going to have to be hypocrites. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite. The Scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. Very important for us as believers to ensure if somebody has a problem with us, leave your gift at the altar, go be reconciled to your brother, the Bible says. Go to him and try to see what, what, the, what the issue is. Because someone could have a problem with you and you not know it. It's even worse if they have a problem with you and you do know it, and you take this position. I don't care. That's not God. That's not God at all. If we're going to stand for truth, stand for truth. There are plenty of things the devil can use to bring division in relationships and establish wedges between people so that they won't have strong relationships. But you have to identify 
when the devil is trying to sow some tares and weed in the midst of your garden. Only you can identify that. So the scripture says then we're born of incorruptible seed. And I think this is really kind of interesting because our current agricultural system is so different from the Bible, the way it functioned in the Bible, which was the seed reproduces after its own kind. And then people harvested, collected the seed, then planted again. But scientists and brilliant minds today have figured out ways to take traits from different seeds and crossbreed them, and then pretty soon they're going to produce a seed that's going to give a greater yield, and then you have a pretty strong harvest, a very vibrant harvest, and then when it's harvest time, you can't in turn use that seed from the harvest for the next year because it's been modified in such a way that the yield won't be as strong. See? So the seed producing companies know this. That's what they desire. And if you decide to do it on your own, you're probably going to end up in a lawsuit with some big company or something like that. But, but, but here's the point, though. Corn is going to produce corn. Alfalfa is going to produce alfalfa. An apple tree is going to produce cheese, going to produce apples. Same thing with pears. But you, you, you don't have that in the Bible like that. We're born of incorruptible seed. Christ is the only seed mentioned in the Scripture that can produce nine different kinds of fruit from one seed. Nine different manifestations of fruit from one seed. Love, joy, peace, and so on. When I lived in Israel, they crossbred a banana and an apple. So this was the mid-90s when I was over there, living there. And so you could go down to the local market and you could buy a banapple. So you had what to the natural eye looked like a banana. But then when you pulled down the skins and bit into it, the texture and taste was that of an apple. It's exactly what you had. But you come into the kingdom of God, and then we have one seed that can produce all of these different kinds of fruit. It's a miracle, folks, that one person can manifest all these different characteristics that the Spirit of God can find good ground in the heart. Look at the fruit one more time. It says here we have... Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. What's the first one there? Love. This is as far as I'll go today. But love is the first fruit. Very important one. We've worked on it. We've talked about it a little bit. But let me say that, that love is important because you have two different elements here. Love for God and love for people. Now, loving God is a piece of cake. And I'll tell you why. Because you can't see him. You can't smell him. You can't touch God. If you're angry with him, you can't get out, you can't reach out and touch him. 
if you want to turn and walk away from him, he's typically typically not going to follow behind you and be saying all kinds of stuff unless, he, unless he's speaking in your heart. But loving God is easy because here you are worshiping and praising God through worship and a song, and, and, and God is pleased with it. That is lovely. Our challenge and the obstacles we face are loving people. Loving people. And the Bible says, if you say that you love God whom you don't see and cannot see, and then you don't love people that you can see, how can you really call it love? Yeah. See? Yeah, lo- loving God, that's, that's, that's the piece of cake. Your, your challenge here at RT is loving me. Hey. That's what what your challenge is. Your challenge is loving me, and my challenge is loving you, because when when we come in contact, if we have disagreement and and we don't, you know, come in harmony in opinions or ideas and things that we want to do, we've got to still be able to walk together in love because true love is going to stay together. That's why the Bible says be rooted and grounded in love. If you're rooted and grounded in it, you just can't get up and go walking out of it because you're planted in it. That's what love is. And, and in a local church, you can't have a church that will last if you don't have people that walk in love. Because if everybody's just criticizing and everybody's super judgmental and everybody's hypersensitive, how are you ever going to have a fellowship? Moody people are people who want to walk in love sometimes. Sometimes. Not all the time, sometimes. Now, we, we say sometimes a person is disturbed. The, the word disturbed comes from Latin, which means something thrown into disorder. And a person who's emotionally disturbed is a person who's easily offended, who gets angry and upset about the silliest things. And, and so every other day they're emotionally disturbed and they're thrown out into disorder because they're allowing their old man to dominate their life. They're allowing their old conversation to dominate their life. And how they feel is dominating their life. Well, I mean, my goodness, I, I can't understand. I, I, I've been coming out here to church bringing my babies all these years. Pastor ain't never come and kiss my baby on the, on the forehead. Angry and upset. Some people, they'll, they'll hear you ask a question, and you ask a question, they'll hear something totally different than what you said. So you ask them, well, what size shoe do you wear? What they hear is, oh, I've got big feet, huh? That's what this is about. I've got big feet, now you want to talk about me. And, and now they're all upset, and, and, and people are doing this whole emotional roller coaster thing. And you know it's true because many of you have had to walk on eggshells around certain people, and people who are Christian, you should never have to walk on eggshells around them. We need to grow up and bring our feelings and our emotions under the dominion of the Word of God. You don't have to have your way all the time. And you shouldn't have your way all the time. You should be able to yield to what the Word of God says and put the flesh to death so that the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit can be realized. Yeah, so important. So important. So being able to love God, as we said, is easy, but 
How about loving family? Yeah, we we tolerate things in our own family that we won't tolerate from other people. Yeah. You know my illustration about how when your babies were little, you know, of course everybody believes their little baby is just so precocious. Oh, my God, he's, he's a genius. Did you hear? He, he's been, she's been here three days. I just heard her say, Mama, 72 hours on planet Earth, saying, Mama. And, of course, when that, when that little baby is small and can't really communicate and talk and all of that, it gets a runny nose, it gets a cold and sniffling and sneezing. Then, I mean, Mom and Dad got that little baby all wrapped up, and they won't let anybody hardly near that baby. And Mom and Dad don't even think about themselves. Doesn't even cross their mind to think that they themselves could get the cold the baby had. They don't care. They just walk around with that child singing and praying and praising and happy and feeling blessed because they got that baby. They don't mind it at all, whatever sicknesses or infirmity the kid has. But, but then later, people come to church or you go to Walmart or go to Russ's. And you're pushing that cart down the aisle, and here's another lady got her toddler up there in that cart that she's pushing, and that toddler is hacking and sneezing, and, I mean, nose is running, and, I mean, you're doing everything you can to get away from that cart, and you're saying to yourself, I, I can't believe they didn't bring that baby out of here. I out here in front of everybody. Well, as long as it was your child that had the infirmity or the sickness, you never thought one time about you getting ill, and it didn't even bother you. If, if the thought of you even getting ill didn't bother you, but now because it's somebody else's that's outside your bloodline, your long-suffering has kind of run short. You see, We should love family. The Bible says that. We should. There's no doubt about that at all. But we should also have a love that operates for our friends. Yeah. Who is a friend? The Bible says a friend, somebody sticks closer than a brother. And if you're in here and you've had a friend or you have friends today, you are blessed because there are plenty of people in churches today don't have any friends, people they could really talk to, share their heart to. But here's what the Scripture says. If you want a friend, show yourself friendly. Start sowing seeds to have a friend. You say, well, well, I, I do that, and sometimes I reach out to people, and people don't reach back. And, and I consistently try to reach out to people and try to, you know, communicate with them, connect with them, and, and they don't connect back. Well, here's what love would do. Love would do the same thing God did when God tried to reach you. Keep reaching out anyhow. I've never one time thought to myself when I've called people and they didn't answer the phone that they didn't want to talk to me. You know what I thought? They just, did, they just, they just couldn't talk to me right now. Yeah, and if, and if I call enough and you don't answer the phone, then I just come to the house and stand outside the window. And I'll come stand outside the window when I know you're home because at some point you're going to look out the window, and if you look out the window like some of you have done before, and I'm breathing in the window and got all of that stuff on the window and I'm waving like this, that's to let you know I'm out here. Yeah. I go to some people's house. I come through the garage. They got that window right there. I'm knocking on the window, letting them know pastor's here. Yeah. 
Look, you, you, you can't have relationships with people if you don't go out of your way to try to have a relationship. Yeah. And then the last thing, you've got to be able to love your foes, your enemies. That's the difficult part. The Bible says if you do that, you heap coals of fire above their head. So the person with the coldest heart, you do good deeds for them, Spirit of God can melt that cold heart by what you're doing. It's very difficult for somebody to keep speaking evil of you if you keep going out of your way doing good deeds. Do you know that? Yeah, very difficult. So if you, if you know that there's somebody who absolutely despises you and you felt like you needed to try to mend a fractured relationship, then just... Go ahead, do a good deed. I mean, really. For instance, let, let's let's suppose that that because of, through a series of circumstances, you got so busy, tied up, and things like that, and and you forgot one of your children's birthday. We're not picking on anybody in particular here. Then, then the way then to get back in good graces with that son would be to find something that that son likes. Peanut butter balls. Something like that, see? But, but if, we, if we maintain our relationship, then we don't have to spend our time trying to mend them. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't be easily offended by things, then you don't have to go back and try to reconcile. Pass up opportunities to be angry with people. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm telling you, the nine fruits of the Spirit are just as important, if not more powerful, than the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because I've seen people who can preach to thousands of people, operate powerfully in different gifts of the Spirit, but then talk to their staff like their staff doesn't mean anything. There's some employers that are that way. Yeah, they'll say they're Christian, but they just talk to people like they're just worthless. That is not the plan of God for us that are Christians. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. So in thinking about this, this lesson, I'm sure it gives us all opportunities to consider maybe where here and there we may have failed in allowing God to work in our heart to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're not seeing the harvest in your life of these nine fruit or of any of these fruit then the thing to pray is, God, help me to have a heart that is good ground to manifest these things. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you're offended or angry with anybody today. Caleb, you can find me a song there. If, if you've got any kind of difficulties with anyone, it's always good to be able to pray for your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. So why don't we take a few moments this morning and just pray for individuals in our lives and, and, and families. And why don't we just make a few small groups 
and we'll pray about different things that that may be going on in our life. Because if you have something in your heart that you need to pour out before God, be willing to pour that thing out before God and talk to the king. And let's ask God to make our hearts fruitful ground. Amen? Just for a few moments, just with the person and the people right there.